podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this uh, wonderful podcast. We've been talking a lot about spirituality and kind of the things that have been going on in our culture. And today we're going to be talking about sex in the church. And uh, one of the people that I'll be interviewing is someone who was on some of my original first podcasts many, many years ago, uh, Kaylee Krieger. Uh, so Kaylee, welcome back to the show. It's been a while. I know. Too long. Too yes. long. <laughs> so just, a, yeah, too long. So since it's been a while, why don't you kind of uh, let everybody know, kind of those are our old listeners, kind of get to know you a little bit more to kind of reconnect with you and some of our new listeners, like yeah. Kaylee Krieger. Um, well, I am a mom of two currently with one that is due in two weeks. All right. So, uh, motherhood is like my full-time job. I stay home full-time with them and I homeschool my older two, Natalie and Sawyer. Um, I'm married to Nick. We've been married. Oh gosh. Eight years. Yeah. We just had eight years celebration. Um, and let's see what else I went to AU. I think we've got some over overlap there, not in our time, but AU alum, yeah. And I worked there for a little while. Um, and, but basically I, we had kids pretty early in our marriage. So I've basically just been staying at home for the past six years with my kids. I love it. Great. Great. So obviously when I've been uh, kind of putting feelers out for some of these topics, you know, you were one of the ones who said, Hey, I would like to talk about that. Cause I've been having conversations with some of my friends and some people at church. So, yeah. so why is it that um, when we talk about sex in church, why is it that that's not only an interesting topic now to kind of talk about as an adult, but why was it so taboo uh, for us growing up in your opinion? Taboo growing up. Um, that's a good question. I think maybe one of the reasons is that people don't know how to talk about it without feeling awkward hmm. or feeling like they are sharing too much or, or getting into a subject that um, makes people feel uncomfortable. We don't like to feel uncomfortable. And so I think maybe that's one of the big reasons. Um, and also I think there's a lot of different views of how to approach it, how to discuss it. And, um, that might be one of the contributing factors of why it's a hard subject to talk about in the church. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was even thinking about, you know, the idea of, you know, the conversation, you know, having this sex talk, um, mm -hmm. you know, I can remember from growing up, I remember I probably might've been like seventh grade, maybe even sixth grade. I remember my dad walked into my room and was just like, Hey son, we need to talk. And I thought I was in trouble. And then he started talking to me about sex and I was not ready. I mean, I think I tuned out in that whole entire conversation. And, and like Blacked you said, out. it was very, it was very awkward. So what yeah. was your experience of, um, you know, for, within your home, was sex ever talked about in your home? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know that we, it wasn't something that was like, an open conversation. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something where my parents were like, you know, if you, if you do this, this is what happens, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> Whenever we had my like version of the sex talk was my parents, my mom giving me a book with all the information about what happened. It was from a Christian perspective and saying, here's this book. 
I read through it in like a day because I love reading and love information. Um, and she was like, let me know if you have any questions. And I think, I don't know that I, I can't really remember the time if I had questions, but I feel like even though my parents were like, you know, if you have questions, ask us, I don't feel like I was feeling comfortable enough with them that I would have asked questions even if I did, Mm. because it was something that was like, this is this one time that we're discussing this right now so we can check it off that I had the conversation (laughs) with you, you know? And I don't think that that was a a bad thing. I think Mm -hmm. that was just probably better than their parents did. They were trying to do a good job and that was the best that they could offer. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's interesting because even just, you know, thinking about my parents, you know, I mean, my dad talked to me and I never heard anything from my mom about it. Um, and I feel like, you know, like your mom talked to you about it, but I don't think your dad ever did. How, 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 do you remember how old you were when you got that book? I had to have been, I'm sure it was before, like we had the sex talk at school in sixth grade. So I'm sure it was before that they wanted to get to me, get their information in before we had the sex talk at school. Um, so I was probably maybe fifth grade, I, I would guess. Okay. And, and yeah, so obviously that's, I mean, I think this is a conversation I was having with Melissa, just like, you know, sometimes it's almost like, well, you know, I wasn't ready to have that conversation because I wasn't thinking about dating or girls or anything till I was much older, like almost like in high school, probably maybe sophomore, maybe even juniors when I started to kind of be more interested in dating, but no, like, so obviously having that conversation, like in fifth or sixth grade, you're just like, nope, I'm yeah. not having this conversation. So, so I mean, I, so kind of the consensus is at least from my experience, your experience, and also Melissa's experience has been kind of this idea of parents kind of trying to do the best they can. Cause you know, probably when they were teenagers, I'm sure it was probably something that wasn't really talked about something right. that wasn't really communicated at the right. same time. I think maybe in some cases it seemed like even when it came to church, when they were growing up, I'm sure that was something that was never discussed in the church. For so sure. from your experiences being in, in church, what was your experience as far as teaching on sex and not only just within church, but even conferences, uh, camps, you know, what was that? Was that something that was communicated clearly or, or how frequently was that talked about? Um, as far, like, I see a lot of overlap in my parents' discussion of it and the church discussion of it a lot because my parents were youth leaders. So, you know, they were a part of those conversations or a part of those studies that we did whenever, we would talk about sex, um, at church. Um, obviously most of the emphasis was on staying abstinent. That was like the biggest thing that was communicated about sex. Not really, you know, not sex education, like how it was happening, but it was just basically all stay abstinent. That's, that's the one true way to be a good Christian. Mm. Um, we, in our youth group, Usually we would split up guys and girls um, to have conversations. And once a month, or sorry, once a year in February during Valentine's, we would have what was referred to as LSD, our love, sex, and dating talk. Mm. So we would split up guys and girls and talk about these things. 
And obviously I don't know what was happening in the guy's conversation, but for us, the emphasis was on being daughters of the King and focusing on purity culture. Okay. Yeah. See, and actually, you know, that sounds a lot better than my experience (laughs) because I don't even remember hearing much about sex being talked about in church. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially growing up in youth group, I never heard anything. It seemed like the only time I heard stuff about sex would have been at like a camp or a conference. Like I can remember back in 96, I was just entered into youth group and I, and they took us to IYC 96 in Phoenix, Arizona. And I don't know who the speaker was, but I remember they passed out these cards that basically, I don't know if they were covenants or if they were like contracts or what it was, but it was basically me writing my name and yes. that I, and I signed it saying that I am going to remain pure until marriage or, yeah. and that was kind of driver's license. Yeah. <laughs> and abstinence, right. See, I, well, the funny thing about, the interesting thing about my experience at church is like that wasn't communicated, but I think it was because I remember like fifth grade was when thing for me, fifth grade, we had someone come in for I think it was from Planned Parenthood two weeks talking about sex. It wasn't until eighth grade where that's the first time I ever heard the word abstinence. And oh. I, and you know, as much as people like to say, Oh, Planned Parenthood was bad. This lady who came in, handed all of us mirrors. And I remember this mirrors you know, like these gel cases and there was a big heart on it. And it said, abstinence is freedom. And this lady, I mean, she talked about contraceptives, uh, sexually transmitted disease, pregnancy, uh, safe sex, um, mm-hmm. everything else. And she even talked about like kind of like the psychological aspect of sex too. And she even said, you know, out of all these things, you know, you can use all these contraceptives, but if you want to 100% be sure you do not get pregnant, a disease, anything else, abstinence is the way to go. And that was the first time I ever heard that in a public high school from Planned Parenthood was when I heard that. Wow. I thought that, was, I thought that was fascinating. And then you get to the church where it seemed like it was, you know, be pure, um, which we'll talk a little bit about that with purity culture, because I know that's been a big sticking point recently or have seen recently. But yeah. it was like, you know, and I felt like on my end, because it's, it's interesting that you said that they were splitting up because I feel like that was very typical. Girls in one room, guys in another room. Right. Um, but I felt like from a guy's side, especially like in some of these conferences or even camps, it was almost kind of made like that men are these neanderthal sexual creatures oh, for that sure. all we do is anytime when we look at a woman only thing that's going through our head is sex 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 boobs 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 and that's pretty right. much it which you know that was always a key thing also i felt like that when stuff was talking about sex and everything else especially in the church it was almost like don't do it wait till marriage Um, And then it was like, even if you had sex, you can still repent and be a spiritual virgin. Right. But it's not as good as being a physical one. So there's like redemption and hope, but also shame on that same conversation with spiritual virginity. Uh, So 
talking about kind of so that's kind of my experience as far as in the church and even a little bit into like that concept of purity culture uh but again like i never read dating books i never read any kind of christian literature that talked about dating because again i was a late bloomer in that thing so what was your experience and how did purity culture kind of what did you hear from that thing and how did that shape you and your understanding of sex yeah um well i think it's first i think it's important to say that for me, I'm a heterosexual, cisgender, white, middle-class, trauma-free female. Female's mm-hmm. the only like title of less privilege that I have. So all my experiences are coming through that type of lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I would say it was probably similar to yours that you're hearing this message of men being these sex craved animal type creatures. And Mm -hmm. we are hearing the same thing on the, in the, in the girls group. And I think what a lot of people, either you were sexually active or you weren't, or kind of felt somewhere in between, no matter what you were scared about what was going on with the other gender. You were scared Mm. that you were, a stumbling block or you were causing them to sin or, you know, whatever that may be for whatever type of personality you had. Um, I think we were on the opposite end in fear, you know, almost. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think the, a, a big message obviously with the purity culture was that, promoting this abstinence until marriage would lead. It was like this guarantee that if you stuck on this one track, it would lead to this blissful and fulfilling sex life. Mm. Like if you stayed right on that track, it would like that. It was a guarantee. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, huge emphasis on modesty Mm -hmm. for females. Like not something I ever heard directed towards males. Mm Mm-hmm not something that I feel like was ever put on any of my, like I have, you know, two brothers, not something that I ever had conversations with them about. I wasn't, I was having conversations with my dad all the time about what I was wearing. It was never something that was brought up between my dad and my brothers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and, and kind of let's, let's kind of pause right there. Cause I know, I know like, again, you know, we both went to the same church camp and we've worked Mm -hmm. at the same church camp and there was always one thing that bothered me, which was always the talk. Yeah. Which was, and I can remember, like, there'd be times where I'd be sitting with um, with the director, and we're sitting in the dining room, and all of a sudden, there's like this flood of women coming into the dining room, and I'm thinking, what the heck is going on? And then, you know, I hear about the three Bs. Yeah. I don't want to see your boobs, belly, and butt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it... And it bothered me to some point because, A, I never really thought that what the ladies were wearing was always something that was tempting me to do something or to like, I don't know, it wasn't like the full moon that was going to turn me into a werewolf or this right. like sexual Neanderthal, <laughs> you know, I was just like, I like using that word because it's funny. Yeah. Um, it but, wasn't turning a button. I mean, and I mean, but at the same time, you know, when I think about the list where everyone gets the list of before you go to camp, here's the right. thing. And I mean, I understood like, you know, 
don't wear these things. These are things permitted. These things aren't permitted. But at the same time, it's like, well, I understand, you know, guys not wearing a Speedo, you know, because I don't want to see that. And I'm sure no (laughs) one wants to see that. And no one wants to see me in a Speedo. Um, At the same time, you know, I understood like if a female was wearing a bikini, you know, okay, you know, put a dark color shirt on. Like I got that. The thing that really bothered me was always the thing about the spaghetti strap tank tops mm-hmm. or the shorts that weren't were shorter than fingertip. Because yeah. again, like me, when I started shopping for myself in high school, I used to shop at like old Navy and Pacific sunwear. And when he had looked at the women's clothes there, that was just kind of the style. Right. And sometimes I'd always get frustrated. Cause I'm like, well, what are these girls supposed to wear? Like guy clothes right. And mm-hmm. I think eventually when you got to almost the mid two thousands where you now have guys who are wearing skinny jeans yeah, or wearing women's jeans right. or even wearing shirts that are intentionally wear shirts that are a little bit tighter or more form fitting for them. So you can see their muscles and, and everything right. else, you know, for me, I feel like, well, why is that okay? But I, but everything else was not and again and i mean and my whole point was that is like you know if any guy who's really obsessing over someone of the opposite sex it doesn't matter if they're in a t-shirt and jeans or in their short shorts and a tank top right they're they're going to be thinking those thoughts regardless of what the clothing's wear so that was something that i felt bothered me and i think it's great that you said that it was like you know almost i would almost like a double standard in some ways. Cause it's like, well, you can't, he's like, you know, your brothers can wear whatever they want, but, or even if they did wear like the short, like seventies basketball shorts, it's, it it's funny. funny. It's, it's funny. Like, haha, yeah. it's a joke. Right. Um, where if you're wearing the same type of shorts, it's like, Oh, you're being, you're, you're not being modest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I've had conversations with, well, one of our mutual friends actually recently, we were talking about how eerily close this um, purity culture and victim shaming are of, you know, this idea of don't wear anything that would cause your brother to stumble is essentially the same thing as when we say, well, what was she wearing when she was raped? I mean, Hmm. it's putting all of the responsibility on the female and no responsibility on men yeah and and i'd agree with you with that because again it's not it's it's almost like because you because you wore sweatpants that said juicy on the back or something that that was that was the only thing that needed to happen for a male to lose control over himself Mm -hmm. to act upon these sinful thoughts right and but it's not his fault it's the lady's fault. It's her which fault. Yeah. I feel, which I feel is wrong um, in a lot of ways. So I'm glad you kind of brought that up as yeah. far as those experiences. Um, you did bring up something that I thought was interesting. You talked about this idea that if you abstain until marriage, mm-hmm. and then once you get married, then you're going to have this great, happy, mm-hmm a fulfilled life, like sex life in some ways. Have you ever had the experience where not only was it that you're going to have this great fulfilling sex life, but that if you abstain, that not only 
your sex life's going to be great, but just life in general is going to be great. Like it's, it's almost like there's a fulfillment or a completion by living out this track. Did you ever feel yeah. that pressure? Cause I know I've heard some people say that has been the case for them, but I'm not sure if that was particularly your experience. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that is church culture, but also I feel like in my brain, it kind of aligns with American society and specifically for females lining up with this idea that marriage, getting married and being a virgin when you're married, like a true actual physical virgin, not, yeah, yeah, not a spiritual one. <laughs> um, <laughs> you hand over your purity ring when you get married, you're actually wearing a white dress. That is like the pinnacle of your life. Like that's what your whole life is building towards. Yeah, not the that's that's interesting that you bring that up just with even just, you know, as a, someone who does film and writes, you know, just the symbolic nature of that, mm-hmm. that, yeah. you know, that's it's almost like the stereotypical like Disney cartoon. Where, oh, for sure. You know, the happily ever after, but you don't get to see. Right. You What's don't see next? happily ever after. You don't, yeah, you don't I'm already see... having those conversations with my daughter. Like, this is not all that your life is about, is finding your one true love. Yeah. And, and so it's interesting when you see that. And I think kind of with that being said, how was that experience for you? You had the moment. You, you got married. Now it's like the floodgates have opened and now mm-hmm. the thing that you were told you cannot do, you can now do. Was it, you know, as everyone said, like, man, it's going to be so like fire. It's going to be fireworks and, yeah. you know, picnics and everything else is going to be this great experience. Was that your experience? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Not well, at before, all. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I joke because when, when Laura and I got married, you know, we got married, we drove to the hotel right next to the airport so we can go on our cruise. Mm-hmm. And it definitely was not our experience. And a lot of it was because when we checked in, some kid pulled the fire alarm oh, and the fire alarm kept going off. And even though there was like three fire trucks out there, it would go off and then it'd go back on. It's like they could not figure out why it kept going off. So literally, like this is how sad it was. We it was the Olympics. It was the Olympics in China. So we're laying in bed and we're watching the women's marathon start. And we watched that entire thing till it was over. Like almost an hour. And every time it's like, Oh, is it done? Can we nope. can we actually can we have sex now because it's done? Right. Then, uh, uh, uh. But <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but, but when I think about that, I think a lot of people's experiences is you get to that point where you're thinking, oh, it's going to be this great, wonderful, like beautiful thing. And then all of a sudden it just becomes this great, awkward. Yeah. Like almost like the alarm's going off or you're, you're, you may be doing something, but then you feel uncomfortable. So then it's like, it just didn't really mesh well. It just seemed like what we were promised was, what was the hype was definitely overhyped. Definitely overhyped. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, it takes, it takes years to get to, to where you can communicate well enough with your partner, I think, to be able to figure things out. 
it in exactly what you said. It's awkward. And that, I think that is across the board, whether you're having sex before you're married or not, it's going to be weird and you're trying to figure things out, but to promote it and market it as if you do it exactly how we tell you to do it, every single person fits in this one mold and it's yeah. going to be perfect. Yeah. And I mean, and I think that's, I think that's the case with everything. I remember I had a friend who, again, a church friend who she ended up having sex with her boyfriend while she was still in high school. And the first thing she told me was Scott, don't do it. It was the most awkward thing ever. (laughs) And I can remember at camp, there was a guy when I was a camper who said him and his prom date, they had sex. And he said, don't do it. It was horrible. It was the worst. And it was just like, but you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, because you know, you didn't wait till marriage. That's why it wasn't great. You know, so it almost kind of cemented that belief in some way. Well, yeah, your experiences were bad because I mean, granted, you know, I don't think everyone's experience has a fire alarm going off throughout the night and you can't get (laughs) sleep at all to catch your flight the next day. But I mean, it is. And I mean, and I think it, and I mean, I think it goes back to communication. Yeah. I mean, just like as a counselor, I tell my clients who are doing marriage counseling or premarital counseling that everything you do from personality issues to buying a house to finances to where you're going to go spend the holidays at you know all even sex all of it has to be communication that right. has to be the key thing yeah. and i think even now you know i mean geez i mean i've been married for 12 years and I think now we finally have gotten to a point where there could be communication. I think at the same way, I mean, I think for some people, you know, there was that idea of trying to get those, that subconscious in your thing that kind of told you that, you know, Ooh, this is bad. This is bad. You know, cause right. that's because I think that's what you were always taught was that it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. If you do if you, you know, if you do it outside of, you know, outside of marriage, everything's bad. So even when you do have the floodgates, you know, you've been told this is wrong. This is bad for so long. It's like, okay, well you you kind of almost like second guess yourself. Yeah. Or it's hard to flip that switch all of a sudden. Yeah. This is okay now. Yeah. I didn't, I don't, I definitely had friends who had that experience. Um, I didn't, I don't necessarily feel like that was so much my experience where, I was fighting those messages of like, you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. But I definitely had other messages that I feel like I was fighting um, as soon as we got married and were having sex. Like, I definitely feel like there were other things that I was fighting with and still, still continue to have to work through that, you know, what I would say were lies or, um, Mm -hmm biblical views and I'm using air quotes with that that were taught in the church that I don't necessarily believe to be true like like what for an example if you don't mind sharing yeah um definitely one of the things that I was taught was well we've kind of touched on this a little bit but like sex is is beautiful but only in the context of heterosexual marriage Mm -hmm. and 
while I think that is true and can be true, I think that you also, you know, you, like we've mentioned, you have to work at it. You have to communicate, but I think that can discount anyone who is not in a heterosexual marriage, anyone Mm. who has had experiences of really great and beautiful sex outside of marriage. I think that makes implications about um, unplanned pregnancies and those not being beautiful or part of God's plan. Mm. And, and, and yeah, and that's like a, man, that's a whole nother can of worms or topics to talk about. Um, And that's something that may have to be discussed at a later time because that can, we can go spend hours on that. Um, But I mean, I think it, I think what it boils down to is when it comes to experiences, you know, I think for me personally, I don't necessarily think that, hey, you know, I would have been fine if I had sex outside of marriage. You know, for me, there, I think there's a cycle for me. I think there's just a psychological thing because then if I did have any bad experiences or I've had trust issues or something that may have come from my experiences and not, not everyone would have those experiences, then, you know, that's stuff I'm bringing into this marriage, which I think may be kind of what was, you know, I think there was always those messages or those, cheesy christian skits where it's like i have a heart and someone rips it in half and then someone rips that heart and then next you know it's like oh i have a husband but i only have this little tiny tip of a piece of paper to give to you like i don't think that i don't think that's very realistic at all what i do think is i think it's just the baggage that can come with that and i think you know i think even just not necessarily my own baggage but even just people i've counseled you know they've come with a lot of baggage from decisions they've made or even just being with the wrong partner even even yeah. those who were abstained first time they had sex was when they were married but then their partner was very you know controlling narcissistic and then right. so now that they're in this other relationship they get remarried and now it's like some of the hesitancies was oh well i'm still kind of struggling with this sex because of the baggage I've had with a previous partner. And right. so I see that it's a lot of it has to do with experience and obviously the idea of how we are taught and and even, and even when we look at scripture, I don't necessarily see teachings of sex being bad. I've right. seen, I mean, occasionally you do like the story in, um, well, as one of the stories in um, Genesis where the one guy's one bro- like the one woman's husband died. So the brother has to impregnate her so she can have a son and he spills the seed on the floor and then God kills him. Like, like, okay, you know, that's, but I think we can mis misconstrue that story, but it's like, you know, we see that sex is a beautiful thing, something that God designed. Obviously he tell Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. And even with that, yeah. You know, I know some church traditions, some may very conservative than the traditions that we may have grown up in, where they view that sex is only for making babies. Right. And that's the only time anybody can have sex is for baby making and not for enjoying your partner or communication or any of those things. It's like, yeah. basically, it's like your whole purpose is to get married into pop out babies and yep. that is the extent of your sexuality. Yeah. Um so 
with all that being said, what have what conversations are you having or how are you approaching to take everything, your experiences that you've had when it came to the topic of sex being communicated in a Christian family or in a church setting? And how are you going to, what are some things that you think you might kind of keep from your experience? And what are some things that you may do differently when it comes to teaching your kids about sex? Yeah. Um, Well, I feel like this kind of relates a little bit still back to this idea that I mentioned of like having these um, ideas taught to me or, you know, things that were said in the church that I'm still kind of working through. Um, I've got, I've got a couple that come to mind. One was um, I probably a little bit related to the um, modesty culture was that females are in charge of the sexual sexual relationship. And I, I think that, I don't know if that was like unique to my experience. Like that was just like unique to my parents kind of communicating that, but I feel like it was an overarching theme of like the female is in charge because the man can't be in charge. Mm. And so I think part of that, that I would like to keep and pass along to my kids is this idea that, yeah, females are in charge of their sexuality and in charge of their body, but the rest I toss men like men are not being held responsible for their actions. You know, it's always all about how the woman dresses. The woman got herself pregnant. If there's infidelity on the men's side, it's because his wife wasn't doing her part to keep herself up. Mm. Mm. Um, And I think it also encourages or assumes that women don't have sexual desires of their own, that, that they maybe even need to manage, you know, it's, it's skipping over that women are sexual beings at all. Yeah. And, and you bring up a very, I mean, you bring up, I mean, I think the, when you talk about your experience about, you know, women kind of being in control Mm -hmm. of their, of their sexuality, um, and kind of, I mean, I think that's very key because I think especially in, again, this wasn't my experience, but I think in like conservative experiences, um, you know, it's, it's the man, yeah. like the man is in control. Or even when we think about other religions outside of Christianity, it's usually the man is in control of your, you know, your sexual destiny, yeah. um, which, and then you, again, you say, you know, the idea of women being sexual creatures. Cause again, that was something that was not taught. And I want to know if it wasn't taught because, you know, they didn't want, you know, these, these pure virgin brides of Christ, <laughs> um, you, you know, being, you know, turning into me, this man, Neanderthal, right, you know, yeah. that there's nothing. I mean, I think there's this idea of, you know, I think if you're going to say that the women are this pure bride, well, technically the church is the bride. So the guys have to be, you know, the, the, the equivalent, the same thing. They have to be a pure bride too for mm-hmm. Christ, you know? Yeah. And I think that's core. But I think when you said that, you know, about women embracing your sexuality, I think that's why when Sex in the City came out, why that was so shocking. Right. Because it was like, what? Women having sex and talking right. about it? Like, I didn't whoa. think they that. 
I mean, but I mean, I remember like, I mean, now, I mean, cause I know there's times where Laura was like watched the show and I've watched a couple episodes with her and I'm just like, this is so shocking. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about it, but at the time it, I guess it was like, it was very shocking to hear yeah. that or, or even just seeing a woman being portrayed as someone who is kind of making the moves yeah. towards, you know, towards that, that sexual intimacy. Yeah. Um, like Laura and I, we watched the movie, um, what women want, which is kind of like what mm-hmm. men want, except mm-hmm. it was with, uh, well, what's her name? Tamaria. Uh, I can't think of her name now, but she was the lead character and it, she was like the Mel Gibson character in a way. And it was yeah. just like, Oh, like, but I mean, she's very commanding and it's like, Oh wow. Like someone in a powerful role, like making those moves, like that's shocking. You know, some people would be like, Oh, like that's what we're trying to fight against. We don't want our women turning into that. And it's like, right. Well, Well, how do you control it when, when you're say admitting that both parties are sexual beings, how do you, how do you control that? How do you make people stay abstinent? You, you can't do it. So you have to say, all right, this party is the ones that we can't control. These mm-hmm. Neanderthals, yeah. <laughs> the females are responsible. You're the red light, green light for the red light, sure, green light. Yeah. <laughs> making sure everything stays how it is. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a very good point, Kaylee, because I do like, I mean, I mentioned it, it is like a double standard in some cases in spirituality where it's, this or that and it's like well no it's i mean we're both accountable Mm -hmm. for actions for everything and you know i think that's very important so i know that said that was one of the things you're going to teach your kids yeah i really started to unpack that so what was the (laughs) other thing that Um, that you may do differently or kind of keep the same something that well i think something that i was definitely handed was masturbation is wrong always across mm. the board, no matter what. And as I, the longer I've been married and the more that conversations that I have for me, I feel like sex, sex, sexual exploration is necessary. If you are wanting to be able to communicate your wants and needs with your partner. Mm. And I think when you look at it as in terms of like having a manual, how are you going to communicate to your partner? If you haven't even read the manual yourself, how can you communicate um, what, what you want or what you like or anything like that? And this is another one of those um, things where I think it's favored towards men because 30% of women can't even orgasm from a vaginal penetration from having sex alone. There's mm-hmm. most women can't orgasm from that. So the other 70% are just expected to know and communicate without any education. And something that I think is mind blowing that we're saying, no, absolutely not. You can't figure this out. You just have to guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. And I think kind of the um, – I'm kind of curious if one of the reasons why that's such a big deal is because anytime when you think about masturbation, usually porn always kind of gets thrown into the yeah. equation. And I think that's kind of been a big thing. I know especially being a guy and even being a counselor – 
you know, hearing stories of guys who struggled with, you know, the shame of pornography and how that has affected their view of women mm-hmm. in some ways. And it's, so I get that. But at the same time, I think you're right in a way because it's like, well, again, it goes back to communication because it's like if you have a tool, you know, if I have a tool, but then I don't know how to use it, then it's just going to then how am I going to fix anything? How am I going right. to, you know, if I have a socket wrench, but I don't know how to use it, then how am I ever going to get my kid's training wheels off his bike? How are you going to tell somebody else to use the tool? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing, like, you know, with me, with my video editing software, and especially within this pandemic, you know, teaching people how to use streaming software, right? how to use it, what, where, what are the, you know, if I tell them, here's how you use it. And if you run into any problems, here's how you can troubleshoot these problems. When I do that, then I don't have to worry about it because they can take care of that. Right. I mean, I think even I think even in when it comes to your partner and especially with different experiences, even the idea of exploration was kind of a very a thing that you didn't do. It was just naughty. almost like I mean, oh yeah. Well yeah, naughty, but even at the same time, like even if you think about, you know, I mean, like if it's like, okay, well, the only way I can have sex is the missionary position. And that is it Mm -hmm. because everything else is too taboo or I may be pushing a boundary. And, you know, and I think maybe at first, like, you know, maybe that's just kind of what people are comfortable with. Right. Especially when you have two people who grew up in the church, it's like, okay, right. That's it. But then I think as we get older, you know, then, and I think that's why I always hear people say like, oh yeah, when you're 50, 60 or 70, then, you know, your sex life is really good because you, again, you've communicated with your partner, you know, and especially yeah. as your body changes or anything else, you start to understand like, okay, here's that. And you're finding new ways to, you know, stimulate your partner for your partner to stimulate you to be able to have this joyous, loving, romantic sex life. Right. Which again, which I believe, you know, I mean, I remember the one thing, I think the only good thing I heard from premarital counseling when I went through it is, you know, sex is a thing that can either rip your marriage apart or it's something that can really strengthen it and make it solid. And I think Mm -hmm. even when you are having those communications with your partner and able to do those things, then yeah, you're, you're going to have kind of a stronger sex life, but then even in that, you're going to have a stronger marriage. And I remember, and you may, I don't know if, did you ever have a class with Dr. Shively? At Anderson? I didn't. No. Okay. I remember we were, it was introduction to ministry and we we're talking about something and I don't know, we we're talking about, you know, relationships and marriage and, and church mm-hmm. life and ministry. And I remember like it was time for us to go. And he, I remember the one time he says, you know what? Keep your marriage alive. Keep it sexy. <laughs> And he was like, I mean, he's 70. I think he was like 72 at this point. And I'm just like, and I mean, I'm agreeing with him. But at the same time, I was kind of like, you know, you're in your 70s and you're telling me (laughs) to keep it sexy, which means that you're probably saying, hey, I keep it sexy in my relationship. And it's like, and that was something that I was starting to have like a weird, like, oh, but I mean, I think at the same point, he was right. You know, you try to have those moments because it is going to make your marriage stronger. Yeah. And I think it's, and I think it's not only important just to say, I mean, even if I'm just like, Hey, I'm going to let's try this or try this new thing. And 
Laura's not ready for it, then I'm not going to force that because again, right. you know, I have to respect her boundaries and what she's comfortable with. And then eventually if she's open to that, then we can go. And I think right. that's kind of the same thing. And I think that's always, that's always key. Yeah. And um, yeah. So I, I would agree with you on that about as far as, you know, and I mean, I don't, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a very interesting thing when it comes to, you know, self-satisfaction or masturbation. And I mean, geez, cause I mean, and I think that's always the strange thing too. Cause when we look at the Bible and scripture, at least I know from my experience, it was always like, well, don't do it. Right. But you never really got the reasons why or why right. this was the better way. And, right. and, or, and you was like, you were told and you were given statistics but you were never given like a good reflection on the yeah. word. I mean, well, I think exactly what you said earlier, it's always connected to porn mm-hmm. and you, and for some reason the church can't have those two things separate. They can't, it also can't be something that you share with your partner, mm-hmm. uh, like it, which and and uh, and it's also never something that is talked about in ref- in reference to people like using it as a stepping stone for people who have sexual or emotional trauma either mm. which i think it can be that's that's i think that's a good point too um yeah i think that's a very yeah i i'd agree with you on that just from stuff i've read as a counselor about you know sexual trauma and how do you have a good sex life when you have that trauma behind you I right think there yeah. are some hiccups with that so you know how do you get to that um how do you get to that how do you get to that step or what are the steps you need to take to be able to help use it as a therapy tool and a right. way to kind of help and healing stuff. and yeah. strengthening your relationship with your partner as well I right. think those are key things so yeah yeah um trust exercise Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know yeah good good stuff so is there anything else we haven't covered yet that you wanted to still talk about on this topic of church and sex before we start to wrap things up yes there are a couple things <laughs> um, <laughs> well you had mentioned you had mentioned um maybe a little or kind of alluded to like things that i would maybe even want to pass along to my kids yes mm-hmm. um and I think there are def- there are definitely several things from my experience that um, that I feel like I'm I'm still processing through, which I already mentioned. But yeah, but more so talking like starting to talk early. Like you mentioned that um, set like you were kind of a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. I like talking in fifth grade with me was honestly kind of late. I already had friends telling me about sex and I already had crushes on boys. And so for us starting to talk, like we've already had conversations with our kids Mm. who are almost six and four about sex and, um, and not even just trying to promote healthy sexual lives for them in the future, but the statistics on sexual abuse are absurd with children. Mm-hmm. And so like already having those conversations about boundaries mm-hmm. and, 
and setting boundaries and respecting boundaries with our, with our kids. You know, we have one child that is very physical, wants to be touched and held all the time. The other one sometimes doesn't even want a good night hug. Mm -hmm. And so I think their personalities have helped us to be able to teach both of them about setting and respecting boundaries. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's key. Cause even when I think about like where my daughter is at, she's two, you know, there's days where she wants to be held. She wants to mm-hmm. give daddy kisses on the mouth. And then there's other times where I'll say, Hey, do you want to give daddy a hug? And she's like, uh, uh-uh. uh, yeah. And you know, and I think, you know, as a parent, you're like, no, you know, it's very easy to say, like, no kid, I'm your dad. You give right. me a hug. Or I'm going to give you a hug, even though you say no. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, that's something that's innocent. But then, you know, how am I going to, but I think in some ways, that's also kind of where they're starting to understand boundaries, you know, they're understanding like, you know, I don't, I like this. I don't like that. So when you have someone who's a trusted adult or a figure who's saying no, and even though it's not a violation of their sexuality, but it is a violation of their boundaries. If I am doing that, then how are they going to build good coping boundary methods? They can't, Um, we're teaching them that they can't trust their instincts. Hmm. And even if that is like you're saying, even if it's a safe person, their parent or grandparent or whomever, we, we really want them to be able to learn to trust what their body and what their emotions are telling them Mm -hmm. so that in the future they can make better, really good decisions about physical boundaries. And I know, you know, obviously that, when you're saying, okay, let's say goodbye to this person. We're going to be respectful and give them a hug or a kiss or whatever mm-hmm. you can. And they say, no, you can see that as defi- an act of defiance. But for me, there's so many other things, other areas that I can teach. You know, they, they don't get a choice about brushing their teeth. Mm-hmm. They don't get to choose what time they go to bed. Yeah. You know, there's so many other areas that I can enforce following the rules and being respectful of adults. Mm-hmm. That's one area where it has always been with our kids. It's your body. You get to make the choice about who touches it for how long, whatever that that's your choice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, and I think that's, Oh, and I think that's, I think that's great. I think that's definitely a step in the right direction. Just at, as far as like just young children, cause you know, I have yeah. young children, you have young children. So it's like, where, you know, when Melissa, she's talking about Michael, who's 11. So it's right. like, oh, okay. So he's, he's on a whole different playing field yeah. now than, than yeah. Peter is, you know? So, yeah. yeah, I mean, and I guess, is there anything else you would, you know, you would use to kind of teach that you um, to kind of teach your kids? Well, we but, definitely, we're definitely in this phase where we're, both our kids are curious. So acknowledging all types of sexual romantic relationships, having a lot of our, both our kids love to read. So a lot of the information that we're, you know, we definitely want them to be around different people, but especially right now with Corona, we, we do a lot of reading and like Mm -hmm. introducing them to other ideas because what they experience is a heterosexual marriage um, between cisgender people. So offering them different views of like, this is how someone else 
chooses to live their life. This is another option of how mm-hmm. someone chooses to live their life. Um, another big thing is using anatomically correct terms when we're talking about their body parts so that they don't experience shame around having a vagina, having boobs, having a penis. They use those words freely so they're not feeling shame or guilt or embarrassment. And that's something that we've been doing here too. Like, I mean, it's very weird when Elizabeth, when my daughter goes, daddy has a penis, Peter has a penis. And then she'll say she has a vagina or she'll say she has a vulva. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, okay. Where, you know, growing up, it was always like a PP, (laughs) like everybody had a PP or, or everyone had private parts, but you never yeah. acknowledge what it actually was. So obviously in fifth grade, when the lady's saying, okay, what's the male sex organ? And I'm like, right. right. And I'm like, feel embarrassed about it, but it's like, right. you know, that's what but it I, is. But I don't that's want their experience. To, I don't want their experience to be like, I didn't know what a clitoris was until I was married. And ah, how, uh-huh. like how that's, that's all of it. That's, that's the yeah. whole for females. So it's like, how can you expect them to have these blissful, amazing sex lives if they don't even know what body parts they have or how to use them? Mm-hmm. And not like we're you know teaching them those things now, but to start talking through what different things can do, what their body parts are, and to not have shame and guilt around those things. Yeah. Yeah, or trying definitely. to cover everything up because somebody else is lusting after them. Yeah, which again, it's not a problem on their part. It's a problem on the person who's lusting. Right, right. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, yeah, so this has been wonderful. I've definitely been enjoying this conversation, Kaylee. Um, yeah, I, I think I think we've kind of covered everything that we're trying to cover here. And I know there's yeah. some other stuff that we can really get into, but oh, obviously know. we don't have all the time in the world to do that. <laughs> um, but Kaylee, thank you so much for joining me back on my show. It's been way yeah. too long. I've been enjoying your thoughts and good luck on, you said in two weeks, you're going to be. Oh, hopefully. hopefully a little, a little over two weeks is when I'm due. And both the other ones were right on their due date. So I was hoping yeah. to go early, but probably not. Well, that's let's okay. Just, let's just hope Nick doesn't have to uh, do the deliver this one at the house or in a car or <laughs> on a boat on Lake Erie or wherever. You're oh my at. Goodness, I know. We're hoping to make it to the hospital this All time. All right. Well, everybody, again, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the Scott Simmon podcast. Feel free to like, share, and subscribe. Uh, feel free to leave a review if you've enjoyed this podcast. And again, we like to hear what you think. What are your thoughts? about sex in church what was your experience you can feel free to like uh send me an email or you can find that on my website thescottstemmon.com you can write there in the comment section or even on the facebook page the official scott simmon podcast definitely want to chat with you and hear all about your experiences and what you thought about this uh episode and again kaylee thank you so much for joining thank me you. and guys i hope you have a wonderful good rest of your week and i will talk to you soon bye